I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. That's a high bar. It's a high standard in order to make it to heaven, in order to enter the kingdom of heaven. But what does it mean? What is the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, and what does it mean to surpass it? If we can answer those questions, then we can know if we're heading in that direction. In a phrase, it means the transformation of our hearts. It's not enough for us to just follow the law and follow the commandments. Jesus wants to transform our hearts from within. He wants to restore it to its original glory, to its original innocence, the way that God created us before the fall. That is why Jesus came, to redeem us, not just to give us rules to follow, but actually to restore the communion that we had with the Father in the beginning. That is the righteousness that surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, which was about following the law. Jesus wants us to follow the law, but he wants to do something much greater with us. Consider this analogy. Many of you know that I just had surgery, and it's great to be back. I'm thankfully on the way to recovery. But I had surgery about six weeks ago on my knee because back in October, I had an injury. Now, by December, before the surgery, I was doing pretty well. I could walk just fine. I could kneel and genuflect. I could carry out my duties and my responsibilities. Somebody looking at me from the outside might think that I was healed. But when the doctor took that image and looked inside my knee, he saw that it was all destroyed on the inside. The ligaments were torn. So what did he, uh, what did he suggest? He suggest, suggested that he would go in there on the inside and fix it from within, heal it from within, restore it to its original condition before the injury. And he realized that he couldn't even just use what I had in my knees, in my knee. He had to give me something new. The stuff that I had was too broken. He just removed that, and then he gave me a new ligament. Many of you have had surgeries or know people that have had surgeries. Cancer is a, is a similar situation. To go in and have surgery and remove the organ that has the cancer and then do radiation and chemotherapy. Many of you know how painful that is. And if you don't know yourself, you've probably accompanied somebody that does, that went through it. See, what's the alternative? The alternative is to carry on with broken parts, with broken ligaments or broken organs, which if not addressed, they will eventually... Either, in my case, it would take away my ability to walk, or perhaps worse, it would take one's ability, one's life, something like cancer. Analogously, that's not God's plan for us. God doesn't intend for us to walk around with broken hearts. He loves us too much for that. He doesn't just want to give us commandments so that we can fulfill them with our broken hearts. He wants to go in and heal our hearts. And we all have broken hearts starting with the fall. That's our original fall, our original brokenness. And then we have 
our histories, with our childhood and relationships and friendships. We get broken, we get, we get hurt along the way, and our hearts get broken. God doesn't intend us to walk around with our broken hearts. He wants to go in and heal our hearts from within and transform us and make us saints. I'm going to read something from a biblical commentary. So this is the part of the homily where it gets really boring. Bear with me. But I think it can situate the context and help us understand what it is that Jesus is getting at here. Jesus inaugurates a new phase in salvation history. He introduces a new covenant standard of righteousness that surpasses the real but insufficient righteousness of the old covenant. You ever heard somebody say, it doesn't really matter what we do, it just matter, it just, the only thing that matters is that we have faith in Jesus. Well, Jesus contradicts that throughout this gospel passage. Very much matter, it very much matters that we follow the commandments. He says, not the smallest letter or the smallest part of a letter will pass from the law. And he says, in another translation, not an iota or a single dot of the law will pass away. And then he gives all these examples with killing and adultery and divorce and taking false oaths. And he doesn't do away with them. He upholds them. He says, yes, these are commandments that you must follow. But I'm going to give you something greater. So the real but insufficient. Real but insufficient righteousness of the Old Testament, of the Old Covenant. The Old Covenant governed the temporal affairs of the earthly kingdom of Israel. The Mosaic Law was designed to establish and maintain Israel as a nation-state in the land of Canaan. Its laws regulated public behavior to maintain civil order. Not dissimilar from the civil laws we have today. We have laws from our government about following traffic laws and not stealing and not doing violence to our neighbors, even to our enemies, or our enemies not doing violence to us. These things are in place to regulate harmony, to promote harmony in our society. So these are good things, and we follow them in order to abide in the same space with other people. That was, in a sense, the purpose of the Old Covenant, the laws in the Old Covenant, the laws in the Old Testament. But that wasn't enough. Jesus is going to uphold them and raise it higher. He thus erected an outward standard of righteousness that defined God's people as a nation. Jesus invites the scribes and Pharisees to recognize the Mosaic Law as God's temporary arrangement for Israel. It was a means of drawing them closer to God by separating them from the sins of the Gentiles. Eventually, the Israelites expected a day when God would write His law on their hearts. This is prophesied in the Old Testament. This isn't me talking about transformation of the heart. It's not my original idea. This is part of our tradition. This is part of our religion. I'm just going to read to you one of these passages from the Old Testament, from the prophet Ezekiel. I will sprinkle clean water upon you to cleanse you from all your impurities. Of course, that's an image to baptism. I will sprinkle clean water upon you. And from all your idols I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart and place a new spirit within you, taking from your bodies your stony hearts and giving you natural hearts. 
in, in my silly analogy of my knee, my knee couldn't be repaired with the stuff on its own. The surgeon had to go in and remove it and give me a new one. Jesus does the same thing. I will give you a new heart and place a new spirit within you, taking from your bodies your stony hearts and giving you natural hearts. I will put my spirit within you and make you live by my statutes, careful to observe my decrees. See, it's not that we follow the law so that we earn our salvation. It's Jesus heals our hearts, and that's what allows us to follow the law. We arrive at this level of righteousness that surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, so much so that it, doesn't even make, it wouldn't even make sense to break the commandments, to break the laws. The commandments are preparation for us to receive our new hearts. If we're not following the commandments, we're not being prepared. We're not being set apart. We're not being consecrated as God's people. So we follow the commandments as preparation, and that allows Jesus to come in and give us a new heart. He implements a new covenant of righteousness that stretches beyond the boundaries of the old law in two directions. Outwardly, the scope of the new covenant is wider than the one nation of Israel. And these words, old covenant and new covenant, if you're not familiar with them, they refer to God's relationship with his people. So in the old covenant, that was God's relationship with the Israelites. And all of that is recorded in the Old Testament of the Bible. In Jesus, God established a new relationship, a new covenant with his people, with the Israelites. And we are now the descendants of that. We're the new Israelites. We're the new Israel. And so God's relationship with us is represented by the new covenant. But it goes further than just a distinction of nation. For the old covenant, it was only the Israelites. But Jesus sends out his apostles to all the nations to invite all of the nations into this communion, into this covenant. No one is excluded. No one is excluded by their nationality. The only thing that's excluded is sin. That's what's excluded from the new covenant. And that's what's excluded from the kingdom of heaven. That is why our righteousness has to surpass the righteousness of the Pharisees and the scribes in order for us to, wel- to be welcomed into the kingdom of heaven. And the second direction is inwardly. The, en- the new covenant penetrates to the heart. It reaches within to govern personal and private life by a maximal standard of holiness. Sometimes we can object. We have a, a tendency or a temptation to object to the high moral standards of the church and we can say something like, well, I understand if you want to govern my, my public life, if you want to tell me not to hurt someone else, I understand that. But my personal sins are my own. See, that's old covenant way of thinking, where we're only preoccupied with preserving harmony in the community. That's not enough for us. Jesus has something much greater in mind for us. He doesn't just want us to follow the law so we can get along with other people. He does want that, of course. But he wants to restore us to our original condition, our original state, our original innocence, our original perfect communion with him. 
with the Father. As the Old Covenant formed virtuous citizens of Israel, so the New Covenant generates saints in the church. So that's the product, if you will. Receiving a new heart produces us, produces saints in us, makes saints out of us. Not necessarily canonized saints, that's not the point, but maybe some of you will be canonized, who knows, and we'll have a little prayer card with your picture and your, your biography and, the, and your prayer. Why not? That's possible. Many saints in the history of the church. But there are also many hidden saints, so to speak, many more hidden saints, non-famous saints in the history of the church than those canonized ones. We're all welcomed. We're all invited to become saints. That's God's call for us. And it's not something that we do ourselves. Again, it's God, the divine physician, the divine surgeon, goes into us and heals our hearts from within, performs heart surgery in us, and makes us into saints. See, God is all-powerful. God can do this. But He's also all-loving. He doesn't impose any of this on any of us. He allows for our freedom. So in order for God to come in and do this, we have to give Him our consent. We have to say to Him, Yes, God, make me a saint. Transform my heart. Now, if you just want some practical examples going forward into this week of what this looks like, just spend some time with this reading and look at Jesus' examples. Maybe you're not planning on killing anyone this week. I hope not. But if you notice anger in your heart towards a brother, towards a sister, you can pause right there and you can notice that. And you can invite Jesus into that space and ask Him to transform it, to heal it, to redeem it. Maybe you're not planning on committing adultery. But if you notice lust in your heart, you can pause right there and ask Jesus to heal that. Or divorce. You're not planning on doing that. Maybe you notice that there are thoughts or actions that you're doing now that if they're not repented and not uprooted from your lives, they may lead to divorce down the road or just cause division right now in your families as it is. You can notice that and you can invite Jesus into that space of your heart and ask Him to heal it. Or maybe you're not planning on taking false oaths. But do you swear at all? If you do, you can pause right there. Do you let your yes be yes or your no be no? If not, you can ask Jesus into that and ask Him to heal it. You see, the point here is not condemnation. The point is sanctification. That's Jesus' project. That's His plan. That's His mission. And that's His mission for each and every one of us. Our role is to invite Him in, to give Him our consent, and to let Him do it. So that can be our prayer as we turn to the Eucharist. We can ask Him, Jesus, come into my heart. As you're coming into my heart in a real way in the Eucharist, I also give you consent to come into my heart and make me a saint. Jesus, I give you permission, make me a saint. Jesus, I give you permission, make me a saint. This can be every one of our prayers. Jesus, I give you permission. Make me a saint.